millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to episode five of Let Me Introduce Myself. This is a podcast where every episode I talk to a new guest about a different aspect of their life. This episode I am joined by Kate, Nelson and Tommy from the Dixie Prol podcast. Dixie Prol is one of my personal favourite podcasts that talk about political organisation and important social issues from a left perspective. In this episode we talk about the media's misconceptions about the American South as well as a number of wider issues. This conversation took place months before the US election. Okay, so I'm joined for this week's episode by the guys from the Dixie Prole podcast, which you may have heard me talking about before, because I do tend to talk about it quite a bit. Uh, and they're joined with me, they're with me today as we um, talk through some some things that will be revealed shortly. I am going to try and be coherent. It's a little bit, it's early in the morning over here for me, so I'm a little bit out of it. So we'll see where it goes from here. Very much welcome to you guys. How are you doing? I'm tired. Good. <laughs> Very tired. Uh, worked this morning, got up early and have to deal with a bunch of people who don't really take COVID that seriously. I work in a restaurant. I'm a, I'm a waiter. I'm having to deal basically with people that could be infected like daily. And it's just like, uh, come on, y'all. Can we just please just not come out, go out to eat? That'd be great. <laughs> that means, I mean, I haven't had anywhere near that as stressful a day. However, it does mean that we're both, we're all in a similar boat and I am completely out of it as well. So that's good. Um, I don't know if you want to start by just introducing yourselves, just so I know who, so everybody knows who we're talking to, so they can recognize the voices. That would be lovely. Sorry, this is Kate, co-host over at Dixieland of the Proletariat. You know, also tired and stressed out and trying to get through the emotional roller coaster and whiplash that is the day-to-day of being an American in the time of plague. <laughs> yeah. Dan's face is just priceless right there. <laughs> um, I'm Nelson uh, from Dixieland, the Proletariat podcast. And uh, I'm also, Kate said it perfectly, just stressed and tired and trying to get through the hellscape that is late stage capitalism in the United States of whatever, because it's just fucked up at this point. <laughs> just put on a mask. <laughs> I'm alone, but I put, I'm masking up anyway for safety. I don't have mine to hand. I also don't feel that I'd sound very clear through it. So I'm going to, I'm going to avoid it for now. I'm really sorry if I somehow transmit something to you guys across the airwaves. 
You and better not. <laughs> you have yeah, better. You please, of all people. <laughs> you of all people better be staying in your damn home, Dan. I, I, I am. Do not worry. Um, I've just had something fitted to my person, which means that I need to stay put for a little while anyway. So mm-hmm. it's all good. Um, so I haven't actually got you both on here to talk about COVID, although I'm sure it will come up in conversation. <laughs> As is or has become tradition with my guests on the show, we kind of have a loose topic that we talk about. And for you guys, I kind of thought it'd be interesting to start you at least on the perception or misperception of Southern Americans. Now that's not Americans from the South, from South America, but Americans from the South of the United <laughs> States. I thought it'd be interesting because obviously you guys have changed my perception in, in, in a way. Um, Yay, we did that it. was the goal of the podcast. We did, it. <laughs> we did something good. <laughs> about what we it got is one englishman we got uh, one yeah, we, englishman we, we, we canceled the show now we're done it's over <laughs> it's done we did 20 episodes we're good it's more than i ever thought possible thank you good night <laughs> so yeah you guys have definitely changed my perception in, in a way like obviously you know like i am a massive american file if that's the right word i know like anglo file is the flip of that which is being obsessed with england but i don't know what the flip of that is like being obsessed with the united states are there people that are obsessed with the United yeah, States? Why the hell like, would you want to be obsessed with this place? <laughs> I don't, I've always been fascinated with it. Just the history and the fact that your your whole country is like bigger than our entire continent pretty much. I figured it would like for y'all would be like going to the zoo and be like looking at the monkeys <laughs> just like flinging shit at each other. And it's just like, oh man, why are they so stupid? <laughs> I don't want to go too much down it, but I've just always had a fascination with, and it's not a morbid fascination before you go there, um, <laughs> <laughs> with your with your nation and and the way that it's made up, and you know, like it's it's been a big part of my education. I focused, you know, I did a, a, an American history degree essentially, um, so yeah, it's it's just been fascinating. I guess like we sort of the way that media sort of feeds us, particularly outside the US, about what people from the South like is very stereotypical and i guess we have this impression that you all are obsessed with the confederacy and um you know <laughs> nelson's eyes just like <laughs> got so big <laughs> he's way too still right now he's, no i didn't freeze that was all me that was all me <laughs> You know, uh, are gun nuts and are all Republicans supporting um, racists, essentially, which is which is not nice. And and I know it's I know it's not the case, but it's it's really refreshing to hear some southern voices on the right side of politics. By In, that you mean it, the left side of the politics? Side. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just I, I just kind of wanted to give you free reign to have a little chat with it. Really, I will sort of chip in um, about things as you talk, but I want you to tell us what it's like being from the south and what you Um, experience if i can just jump on in and go first there i think you know one of the first things to address there is the perception that you know we're all republicans that this is the you know it is a the south is hugely republican stronghold but you know if i can quote the late great anthony bourdain the south is not a monolith and we would love to be not treated as such because if you actually you know when you look at an electoral map every four years, you know, you see these huge red swaths across the industrial Midwest, across the South, and then, you know, the blue is lining the coastlines. But if you actually look at breakdown county by county, 
almost every state in this country is a red state filled with blue dots. Uh, it's just yeah. that, you know, you get into, you know, the Northeast and you get into the West Coast and you get way larger blue dots because those cities are just more populated. I'm just going to add um, so, a little caveat there, just for my listeners yeah. from this, from my side of the Atlantic. So, oh yeah, blue and red mean totally different things. The other way around <laughs> in America, it's even fucking crazy when you go to Australia and the Liberal Party is the Conservatives. I'm like, how the yeah. fuck? Oh yeah, and no, and 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 if you're Irish, I re- I totally support Republicanism. Oh yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. American They're Republicanism the only can fuck off. Yeah. So this is a very uniquely American. Well, it's yeah. not, I mean, it's just that the colors and the names are to do we, with America. Yeah, and we American like to fuck politics. everything up. So, <laughs> so yeah, blue, is, blue is blue is Democrats and red is Republicans, rather than the other way around. And the red and the Republicans tend to be conservative, yeah. which would be blue over in this country, which makes it all very confusing. It's very confusing. It's very confusing. Um, <laughs> so we say like, you know, like red, like, you know, I, we both live in cities. So we're in blue dots inside of red states. And even then, you know, like when you get left of center, Nelson and I are very far left of center and we still don't agree on. All oh, that we had a, we had a, we had a, we had a huge, we had a, uh, we had a huge signal debate. You know, yeah, we we, we, we got in a text. We basically yell rehashed the, the Rosa Luxemburg Vladimir Lenin uh, debate that mm-hmm. they had exactly like a hundred years ago. So <laughs> and like, I'm still 2020 Rosa, and I'm still right. Uh, but like, but you know, so it's like I'm there's still like, <laughs> Nelson likes to hold up books in the middle of podcasts to prove points, even though nobody can see him doing it. Know, so right? He just he just did that in this moment. Uh, but yeah, so it's like, first, you know, that initial perception as well. Um, we also, we have the stereotype of the Southerner as being rural, as being white, as being uneducated. And we've got research universities all across the South. The majority of Black Americans, I think it's like 55% of Black Americans live below the Mason-Dixon line. Um, we have 35% of the gay population in the United States lives below the Mason-Dixon line. So it's like, you know, when you talk about the South, you are actually talking about the most diverse populations in the country since forever, basically. But like really since like the Southern strategy, you know, at, we're seeing this vocalization of the silent majority of this very well-to-do rich white southerner controlling everything and yeah. giving and 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 the poor white southerner being enveloped into that and it's 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 not true or accurate i don't even have a southern accent you know like i don't sound like i'm from here we actually got accused at one point of me yeah. not being from the south we got we got accused of being fake southerners i was like, dude, I'm, like I'm, I'm lived from- yeah. I'm from Louisiana. I'm from farther south than anybody on our show. I've lived in I've lived in Alabama for like almost 30 years now. Please come on. <laughs> I wish they, I wasn't, but I am. So actually as a little aside, do you think that comes from certain inbuilt prejudices prejudices within your listeners then in that case? Because I is it, I get I'm guessing it's because you two are, are fairly well spoken and it's and you don't have that thick draw that we all that particularly like as an outsider. I mean, I do, um, me personally, I try, well, one for me, my dad is from, I can turn on the Southern accent. I, I, <laughs> I hold it back, but, um, my mom's from New York and she's Italian. And then my dad is from Alabama, but his father's from Boston. So like, oh, okay. I knew, I didn't grow up in a family with a thick Southern accent. Like I'll be like, 
I will be like, I'll take a ride at the lot and people will be like, when I'm in New York, they're like, what the fuck did he just say? I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it does come out. It just, people down here think I'm from New York and people in New York are like, you sound really Southern. That's, I don't hear it. Yeah. I, I used to live in Chicago. Um, I went to graduate school in Chicago and, um, I say Chicago, like a Chicagoan, Chicago. but, uh, Chicago, that's how it's pronounced. But, um, <laughs> no, but people there think that I sound like redneck as fuck y'all. Uh, yeah. but people here are constantly like, where are you from? And I'm, I'm from Memphis. Where'd you go to high school? I went to white state. That's such a very Memphis question. It's always, where'd you go to school? <laughs> where'd, where'd you, where'd you go to school? And then, you know, everything you need to know about a person. Uh, you know, I'm like, I went to white station high school. No, but where'd you go to school? And I'm like, what do you, what do you, how do I, do I, do I need to be vetted? Like, do you need me to like bring you a list of other Memphians who know who I am? Cause it's long. You need a list <laughs> like, of references. Right. You know, your favorite spot like... to get barbecue, your favorite spot <laughs> to get chicken, your favorite soul food place. And obviously there's a list of right answers there. And if you get one of them wrong, yeah. That's it, yes. And <laughs> the correct, the correct answers on that one are cozy corner. <laughs> they're cozy corner. Gus is an Alcinius, but you know, this... there you go. actually no, Ty Alcinius, Alcinius and, and the four way, but you know, it's fine. But, um, I think, I think to go more in depth into your, your question, I think that after, um, really after nine 11, you see like this massive, like Southern occasion, Southern, Southernification, whatever it is. Uh, it's, the America became what everyone thinks the South is. And it was pushed really heavily by the Bush administration right. and the media and Fox news and this pop country. Cause after nine 11, like everybody got really patriotic and well, fakely patriotic. And they like taught it, started like waving the American flag more and country music became huge. And like people out in California, whatever started like pretending to be cowboys and Southerners <laughs> mm-hmm. because like they were hearing Toby Keith, and who's other, from Oklahoma? Yeah, and uh, and who's the dude from Australia? Keith Urban. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, from Australia. They, yeah, Gretchen uh, Wilson, redneck woman. She's from Illinois. You know, yeah. like these aren't. Like they push this this yeah. like, southern agenda that is not um, even real. And on blue collar comedy tour, blue collar comedy oh tour, I think is hugely yes, I indicative of that them. because it's like you know, which was uh, Bill Larry Engel, the Jeff Buck, or they and Larry the Cable Guy, and Larry the Cable Guy is a classically trained actor. <laughs> who developed a character of this blue collar skilled worker yeah. and yeah. yeah and people bought they into it to a point up. where people do not understand that Larry the cable guy isn't a real person like same with duck dynasty absolutely yeah oh, duck yeah. dynasty is the same way yeah um so like uh do you all do you all have duck dynasty in the uk uh, yeah i mean i haven't seen i'm so, much I'm so of that. sorry i've seen <laughs> those dudes are like uh, those dudes are like things <laughs> yeah, they're like they're like preppy frat boys, and they got told to like grow beards and act more redneck to sell the they were calls. they were curated, you know, by reality TV producers. You wow. know, it, it so was like, like you know, basically they then. signed their yeah they signed their <laughs> contracts. They're the Sex Pistols of the South. <laughs> oh my know? god! Like, they're completely designed to project a cert- a very very specific image, and that image perpetuates what people think that we're all like and like we're i mean there's the idea yeah, everyone just assumes that we're all you know evangelical christians you know like nelson yeah. comes from a catholic background i'm a fucking jew you know <laughs> like you know there's we're it, there's all kinds of us down here so if there's such a there's clearly like a narrative that's been spun and then there's the reality and if the reality is that actually you guys are uh, are not as it seems I mean, you've kind of touched on it, I guess, post nine eleven. But why do you think that narrative is so pushed? Why has that become the predominant thing? Is it is it a political agenda? Is it to try and? 
I think it's people to fall in line. I think it goes, I think it goes into marketing. I really think that they found a way to market what they wanted people to believe the South was. And a lot of industries made money off it. I know NASCAR boomed because of it. Like NASCAR was kind of dying and then it really like got ramped up because, you know, America, NASCAR, which is, it's funny now because NASCAR is like leading the way in like the Black Lives Matter movement. But um, that really was like a thing in like country music, like pop country, the disgusting country made so much money off this. Like it's kind of like they took a national tragedy and like what America does best is turns it into like marketing gold. And that's really what you see perpetuated. Like someone even said mm-hmm. like, mo- like movies like Forrest Gump, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Like these pop movies that like instill in people that like every Southerner is like Forrest Gump and like every Southerner mm-hmm. is like the dudes from oh, uh, oh Brother, Where Art Thou? So it's like it's perpetuated in movies it's perpetuating tv shows it's perpetuating marketing and music and all this stuff to like try to let like make people think that like this is what the south is and i mean to an extent kind of but that's what's being seen what's like not like behind the scenes is nothing like that do you think a lot of it is is urban country divide does that make sense? So like, it's, it's, think, you're saying that like you've got your your city hotspots where there are blue. You're like your city is a blue dot in a red state. I think that I think that that would be a more accurate depiction of a perceived divide. <laughs> like I think that I think it would be more accurate to say that you know there is a rural c- culture and there is an urban culture. I think that city to city you're going to find more commonalities, and I think that you know you're going to just like the middle of nowhere Tennessee is going to have more in common with the middle of nowhere Iowa than it is with Nashville or Memphis or Knoxville or Chattanooga. So I th- if you if you're looking for like a cultural division that's where it is. I think that the mistake there is to look for a cultural division. Um, okay. I think yeah, I think that you know Nelson was spot on in talking about a commodification of the idea of southern culture. I think that's taken shape in a lot of forms sometimes not necessarily just of like being as of the south but like you know also treating the south as like this whole place like you're not going to have a crawfish boil in memphis tennessee <laughs> because we're six hours from the Gulf. <laughs> we're six yeah. hours from crawfish country uh driving in a car uh but you know all of a sudden you know every bar with a patio in Chicago summertime rolls around and they've got crawfish boils and low like South Carolina low country boils going on um you know everything from you know it becoming trending to putting cocktails in mason jars you know and charging $17 for that cocktail <laughs> yeah it's just like any little perception of something as you know like you said like you mentioned how large america is a lot of americans are very well traveled without having even left the country because it takes days to drive across it. So, you know, we, because of that size, you know, when you live that far away from something, even though you're in the same country, it's, it's really easy to not necessarily romanticize, but fetishize what you think that culture is. And I think that's a lot of what has happened here. Okay. So I guess the logical, I've got some other, obviously loads of other things I need to talk to you about, but I guess my next question would be, so what is the South to you, to you guys? The South to me is... So the South to me is, is, is what Kate said, like, I mean, is, is what kind of what we're talking about. Like you have those urban centers, but then you have the very rural areas. I mean, to me, what I've seen growing up in the South and being traveled all over the country and especially to the South is that we are a very diverse region. It's like, I, it, it I mean, you, you, like I watched documentaries and I had no idea that like, for instance, and Kate knows this being from Louisiana, that like 
there's a huge like Vietnamese fishing culture in Louisiana. No there way. are yeah, there are like Chinese families in Mississippi. So you have grocery stores in Mississippi that are owned by Chinese families that have thicker southern accents than I do. And like you go to Atlanta and you have this a culture of just great music and art and entertainment. The same thing in, in the in the in Mississippi Delta with Delta Blues and in Alabama with country music. Then you have Appalachia was this entirely different culture. It's so diverse and it's not this monolith of like white bread foaming at the mouth racist that like only like unseasoned food. Yes, we do have a quite a number of white bread people that do not like seasoned food and those people are Republicans and unfortunately they hold power in a lot of state offices. But what people have to realize is that those systems were designed to keep those people in power. And a lot of those people that have been there for so long, they used to be Democrats. But then when the Southern strategy happened, they switched to Republicans. And then when Obama became president, a lot of them also switched to the, the final nail in the coffin, like a lot of them switched to Republicans. And so you have the same people staying in power that perpetuate this, this, this thing to keep people dumb and poor so they can keep perpetuating this myth that all of the South is dumb and poor. That's what's always sort of played in the back of my mind is the idea that you've got all these states that are bigger than some of the countries in my continent all bundled in together. Like there's no way that those that, that you can all be the same. Like you can't blanket yourselves with one brush because there's just too much diversity across those that landmass, let alone anything else. So I'm, I'm segueing slightly, but what's the deal with the Confederacy? <laughs> <laughs> what's the deal with the confederacy where do you want to, where do you want to begin i can I, I have i have ranted about this on many a podcast you want the, <laughs> so, uh, the old one or the new one or that's the same one like do you like, want do you want the lost cause myth or do you want the reality i i want the reality and i kind of want to know like i get it from a historical point of view like i i'm coming at it from the same angle as you historically like i, I understand it yeah, yeah i get it but it's more the fascination with it it's the reason why there's so much of it, it seems so it seems to be so cling to by a certain group of people across the country. I don't I don't get the fascination with it. Is there any is there any value to it beyond it's, it just being it's a racist racism. Thing? It's, it's racism. racism. It's one hundred percent racism. You know, anybody who wants to sit there and yell states rights, states rights at you. Yeah, it was states' rights to hold enslave people, to you know, hold black bodies as chattel property and treat them as not human beings. And that is, that is the right. And it was explicitly said um, in the constitution of the Confederacy. It was explicitly said repeatedly um, by Jefferson Davis, you know, who was the president of the Confederacy. Yeah. Yeah, The articles of of, of secession specifically named slavery as the root cause um, there is no historical argument that there is any other right that they were fighting for other than to maintain their economy by enslaving people. Um, the reason that that is clung to now is for the exact same reason. And that is why, um, as we've seen Black Lives Matter erupt as a global movement, you know, and as we, you know, which is, have been a beautiful thing to see, you know, not just solidarity with America, but solidarity for, you know, people of color across the world, uh, in Paris, in Rio de Janeiro, in, you know, the good lads of Wrexham driving to Manchester (laughs) to beat the snot out of white supremacists. Those white supremacists were waving Confederate flags in England. So it's like the fact that that those emblems are adopted by white supremacists across the world tell you everything that you need to know about it. It's about 
thinking that you're better than black people, which you're not. How does it fit into pop culture? Because well, I see it, I see it on like Leonard Skinner albums, and I see it attached to con- like at country festivals, like the bad country, the country that you don't like, <laughs> Nelson. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I see it attached to that, and that. I mean, how has it become that? Well, that's that's what I was gonna say. I was gonna piggyback off of what Kate said. It's the same racism that these statues were put up put up in the first place because a lot of these statues weren't put up until the Jim Crow era, which was used to you know remind black people like stay in your place. Lyndon Skinner like talks about this. Like it it goes back to that whole commodification of like what you want the South to look like, and they wanted to sell an image. And not everyone in Leonard Skinner was from the South. Like some of them were from California and other parts of the yeah. country. So like they wanted to sell this image. Like granted, a number of them were from Alabama in the South Florida. They grew up around the Confederate flag and this mythology of the lost cause. And they really believed that like the South was fighting for honor and states' rights. Uh, they were proud of their heritage, et cetera, whatever. But then like you had members of the band that weren't from the South and had no clue and really didn't care. They just wanted to sell records and sell units. So it goes back to like pushing this thing of like, hey, this is what we want the South to be, which I mean, is is funny in a way because uh, Ronnie Van Zant talks about in Sweet Home Alabama that like he didn't like George Wallace. He didn't mm-hmm. like our, our raving, like foaming at the mouth racist sellout of a governor who actually when he was a trial judge wasn't a racist he was actually fairly moderate on race issues but then became this what he wanted the set what like he, he saw needed the seg- he, he needed, needed to votes. support segregation yeah to get elected so exactly. he became a staunch segregation yeah, exactly George wallace was definitely more of an opportunist <laughs> whole opportunist <laughs> probably but a little bit of both so it goes back to like commodifying what we what people want the south to look like and they make money off of it so you do it Speaking of both Leonard Skinner and George Wallace, um, you know, if you want a strangely accurate history of both of, of both the band and the man, um, Southern Rock Opera, the the record by um, Drive By Truckers. Gotta love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So th- this whole, I mean, it's it's a it's a two disc rock opera about the South, and it goes through you know the rise of George Wallace. So, you know, it talks largely about Leonard Skinner as a band, uh, and I think that very beautifully Patterson Hood writes on that record about what he calls the duality of the Southern thing, which I think is exactly what you're figuring out here, Dan. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, there is this horrific racist legacy, you know, that is ingrained in Southern culture more deeply than it is in other parts of the country due to our legacy of slavery. Um, But the flip side of that is, uh, you know, that, you know, also we got NASA, (laughs) like, um, (laughs) yeah, which Dan and Dan and I did a whole episode on that on somebody else's podcast. He knows all about it. But, you know, it's like, you know, we have, you know, like I mentioned, we've got major research, you know, like you have the research triangle in North Carolina. Um, You know, we, you have everything, all the aspects of American culture that people outside of the South and outside of the country love are food. When you think of American yeah. food, you're thinking of Southern food. When you think yeah. of American music, you're thinking of blues and jazz and country, which all came out of the South. Uh, a lot of the hip hop that you love came out of the South, you know, like all of these. You know, so there's all of this really wonderful arts culture that comes out of here. Um, the, the, the activists that we love and celebrate 
from Martin Luther King to and where is Angela Davis from? Alla fucking Bama, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, um, so, you know, there's, you know, all of this wonderful legacy to be taken away from here. And I think that kind of goes back into like your question about what does the South mean to each of us as individuals? It's exactly that. It's, you know, I love my home and I love my friends and I love where I grew up and it made me the person that I am today. And the flip side of that is it's also like, I've often like being an abusive relationship because, you know, like our voices are marginalized here because of the structure that it's in. Uh, if we leave, we're traitors and we're turning our back on our homes. If we stay, we're complicit in everything that happens here. And it's, you know, like it's, it's hard. It's really, really hard. So. So do you think, are, are we on, are we beyond the point where anybody flies the Confederate flag without understanding what statement they're making by doing that? Or do you think there are still people that are doing it in a naive fashion? No, there's still people doing it in naive fashion. I see that every day at work because we host the Sons of Confederate Veterans okay. uh, that come in and do their their chapter meetings. And there are huge swamps of Sons of Confederate Veterans, Daughters of Confederate Veterans that still believe in this lost cause myth um, and still want to uphold. There's billboards, there's signs that I see coming home from work. It's like, learn your Southern heritage uh, that your ancestors fought for. Like on I-65 heading north to Birmingham, there's a massive Confederate flag that's on property of the sons of Confederate veterans. And they're like, you know, learn about your history, learn about your heritage. And they have the number to call. And like, it's a massive flag. Like, it's not like this little rinky dink thing. Like it's massive. So yeah, there are still people that cling to it. Um, There's people who cling to it for a racist reason that we use as an emblem of white supremacy. And there's people that are probably still do it in that sense, but like do it in like a quiet sort of way, like a hush hush. Like it's about States rights. It's about, but like my dad believes in all that stuff. Like he might, I would consider my father a neo-confederate because he, he has books about like why the South was right. He'll rant and rave about uh, Fort Sumter being where they collected cotton tariffs, like going to England and it was all about taxes and tariffs and New Orleans was outdoing the South, uh, outdoing New York. And it wasn't about slavery. Slavery is a dying institution, et cetera. All this stuff has been completely debunked. If you yeah. actually read outside the blinders that like certain authors write and so no there is a huge still a huge faction of mostly older is what i found if you see young people still flying it's because they're racist skinheads yeah or they're 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 white supremacists older people that look like they actually fought in the civil war (laughs) they (laughs) they tend to be like my great grandpappy rode with robert e lee to battle gettysburg (laughs) and like believe in that crap it's just an interesting concept because i i like until I got to an age where I was reading about it, I just didn't understand what it was. And I had to explain it to like, just I'm segueing madly. Kate knows I do this all the time, but I worked in a school for, in an international school for a long time. We used to do this uh, sort of graduation where we used to hang up the flags of all the nations of the students that, that came to our school when they were graduating. And I had to explain to the principal why hanging a Confederate flag wasn't a thing to do because we had it for some reason in the collection of flags for the school and there's me explaining to this 50-year-old guy why that's not a flag that's, that we, we should hang up anywhere <laughs> and why have we got it in the first place. That would literally be like hanging the apartheid flag of South Africa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there was a couple of other flags in there as well that we had to take out. Like still had, I mean, yeah, but that's another story. But yeah, that one was the most obvious one. I'm, I'm explaining to a 50-year-old guy why this isn't something that we need to be putting up in a, in a, in a church in England. 
for graduation? No I, com- I actually completely disagree with Nelson on that. Like, I, no, I think at this point, the conversation has been so loud and has been so public about what that flag means to the majority of people, about that flag as a tool of oppression, about that flag, you know, being a symbol of the subjugation of a, lar- of a large portion of this country, that I think at this point in 2020, even if you were raised on the idea that this was about heritage and not hate, it's been said enough times that if you are still clinging to the idea that it's heritage, not hate, that is an active choice that you are making. So I, dis- so I disagree. I think that you are, you are taking that moment to say, my feel, I'm not willing to reconcile my family history to make somebody else feel safe. You're absolutely a racist and you're doing it for racist reasons. I'd say it's much more in the sort of consciousness of people outside of your country now as to what that means. So I like that conversation took place maybe six or seven, eight years ago. I don't, I wouldn't even anticipate getting to that point now. I'd imagine someone finding it in the flags and just going, nope, because, you know, it's in that, it's in the, it's much more in the, this, particularly in this, this year, it's much more in the, in the dialogue than it has been previously. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. I'm going to ask you about something else now, which is, again, a little bit of a segue. So you're all gun-toting, right? <laughs> In the South, like... <laughs> okay, so... I'm actually terrified to own a gun. I don't own a gun. I, I've never shot a gun. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm terrified of getting killed by the police. Like, just 100%. And there have been so many cases where people have, you know, Philando Castile, le- you know, legally had a gun. I don't think he had it with him that day. Well, I think he, he did. did. He, he did. And he said, it. I have a gun have in a gun. my yeah, glove yeah. box that is in my glove box. Yeah. And then they shot him for saying. He did everything wait, wait, he's supposed to cop, do right. The cop asked him for his registration and ID, which is a normal thing that happens. Yeah. And yeah. he was reaching for his registration in his back pocket and ID, and he got shot. 
And he told the like, cop that he had a concealed carry license and that he had a con- yeah. legally concealed. He did everything right and still got killed. Yeah. And that was in Minnesota, not the South. And another thing about the South that I don't know that people know, but there, there is a, a higher concentration of black people in the South than anywhere in the U.S. Like, yeah, for it's sure. 50, 55 percent of yeah. okay. black Americans live in the South. But yeah, I'm terrified. I, I mean, maybe I'll use someone else's one day, you know, but I and me personally, I don't think I'll ever carry it with me. I don't I don't think I'll ever, you know, be that guy. And then also uh, a, a, an army. I think he was still in the army or somewhere in the military. But uh, in the mall here in Alabama, um, there's there was a shooting in the mall and this, you know, you know, military guy, he, you know, he's looking for the shooter. He has his gun or whatever. And he gets shot in the back of the head before anybody can say anything. Yeah. And they reported it. They first reported it as they got the guy. That's how sure they were. Mm. Uh, We got this guy, you know, like you, you, uh, there is no such thing as a good black guy with a gun. That's, that's what they like to say in America. Like, Oh, what about the good guys with guns? There is no such thing as a good black guy with a gun, whether you have a gun or not. If they think you have a gun, you are dead. I mean, somewhere that doesn't, so we obviously, we have really strict gun control over here. It doesn't mean there aren't guns in existence, but obviously we're not allowed to have them unless we've got a hunting license or a shotgun license. And it's quite strictly controlled in terms of that. And, you know, our regular police force don't carry and stuff like that. The sort of uh, Second Amendment kind of need for guns, I just find really hard to understand. I like a part of me understands that it's so it's so, it's at a point where it's so ingrained in culture that it would be very hard to take it. But I still don't understand why regular people need automatic automatic weapons. Like I don't get it. But I know that that's not the case for everybody. And I was just quite I just quite I like it was great to hear Tommy's point of view. But I'd quite like to hear from Nelson as well. You know, just to sort of balance out a little bit. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I I, I do own I do own firearms. I go to the range and I shoot. I mean, Tommy did hit the nail on the head. Like, gun culture in America is, is, is from its foundation, like a white supremacist thing. And the joke is, like, if you go far left enough, you get your guns back, except you just like the Russian ones better. I mean, I, I did not grow up around guns. I mean, like, I, I grew up, my, uh, my family owns a pecan orchard, and we had, like, some shotguns and whatnot. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I did not know that. And it's news to me, and I don't know why. We a, I really yeah, we had a we have a pecan orchard, and I grew up basically the equivalent of like a it, it's, it was an insurance salvage auction, but it's basically a junkyard. We just didn't sell parts; we sold like to distributors and whatnot. So, like, I grew up in in like the bo- best of both worlds, like the urban like Montgomery Center, and then like the rural Wetumpka Center. But like everyone that I knew, like hunted and stuff, I never really enjoyed. I never saw the need to wake up at four o'clock in the morning and cover yourself with deer piss and go kill an animal like this is weird but um as i got older I, a lot of like i'm in socialist rifle association which is a uh, a socialist gun club and education mutual aid type deal and a lot of a lot of people um on the left of all races started getting very radical when it came to firearms after charlottesville when heather high was run over by a white supremacist because we saw that like white supremacists, neo-Nazis, like fascists, uh, any of that whole alt-right was willing to kill us and kill people. All, and it, it goes back to like the Greensboro massacre where the Klan like shot and killed members of the Communist Party. Yeah. So like that, like Redneck Revolt, John Brown Gun Club, Social Life Association, Huey Newton Gun Club. Like you just saw in Stone Mountain, Georgia, like a, like a company's worth yeah. of armed uh, black citizens 
marched through Stone Mountain, Georgia, and said, all right, Clan, where you at? You keep talking shit, like, where you at? You know so, the NRA took one look at that oh and God. was just like, we didn't mean them. <laughs> exactly. Was like, that's not whose gun rights we're fighting <laughs> no, for. That's not, not yeah. them. But um, my, my concern, and when I tell people that, like, when people are like, we need gun control, we need this, we need that, I was like, all right, I'll disarm when the police disarm because the number of the people who are going to be killed by the police disproportionately are going to be killed by police officers. So the police are out here willy-nilly with AR-15, M-16s. They don't have the civilian models. They have the military models, the M-4s, mm. the ones that do go fully automatic. I can't own a fully automatic machine gun unless I buy a tax stamp and wait six months and pay 200-something dollars and get it from an FFL. So basically, like, the police have these up-armored Humvees, these vehicles and weapons made for war. And when you see them at these protests, like, they, they come in like an occupying army. And I think... A, I mean, I, I'm not going to speak for Tommy. I'm not going to speak for the black community. But like what I've heard is that police are seen as an occupying force in the black community. They're not there to protect and serve. They're there to protect property rights of the rich and, to, and bust unions and to harass black people. They're the descendants of slave catchers. Like that's what their role was. And so my whole, st- my whole spiel is that like America is a right wing white supremacist settler state. And the right is armed to the teeth and they're armed and they're trained. They have right-wing militias that uh, do training camps that teach like a lot of ex-military are part of Oath Keepers and Three Percenters. They are a right-wing constitutionalist, their version of the Constitution, um, organization, and they put on training camps to teach people, they don't care who it is, but nine times out of ten, the white supremacists that come in and they learn military tactics. Like you have white supremacists join police forces and join the military to learn how to, how to kill. And you have Atomwaffen, another neo-Nazi organization that went to the Ukraine to literally fight with, I forgot the name of it, but they're, they're now part of their National Guard, to become battle-hardened troops. Like, they are willing to kill. And, like, while the, while the left does have its own gun culture away from that white supremacy, the whole issue of the far right being armed to the teeth is horrifying. Because I've always said that, like, a civil, another civil war in the United States would play out a lot like how Yugoslavia played out. And it will be a lot of genocide and ethnic cleansing because you're going to have like far right death squads roaming around and just getting a list from the local police station and start picking off people and making people disappear. And I don't know if that will happen in my lifetime. I really hope it doesn't, but I think it's an inevitability. I think it's an inevitability. Like we've seen that in other countries and there's no reason why it wouldn't happen here, especially with the asshole that we have as president now and COVID and everything in late stage capitalism, like completely failing. So, I mean, I don't want to have to fight in a civil war. I don't, I'm not one of those preppers that like buys up pallets of ammunition and hides in the woods and paints my face and like pretends to be Rambo. Absolutely not. Those people are stupid, but (laughs) like, I know how to shoot. I know how to clean my weapon. I know how to do like some basic first aid and self-defense because like, no one's going to help us when the shit goes, the, when it goes to shit. I mean, like at the far right has the training and the power and the teeth and the protection of the state and the left needs to be able to protect itself. There's a lot of truth to that. I think actually in a way, cause it's always been something that's bothered me. It, it, it not obviously not the gun issue, but it's always been something that's bothered me in the UK. It's that actually are, you know, the, the, the far right over here up until recently has been quite small, but what they have been is very well organized. And I never feel like the left is organized enough. I always feel that's like we're too, we're too busy, busy fighting each other. Yes. And Thank that's you. what really, really we're bothers me. We're our own worst me. enemy. We're, we're absolutely are. our own worst enemy. 
Um, and it's like, it, you get us into a room for a common goal. And by the end of it, we'll throw in the towel because no one can agree on how to get yeah. to that goal. And I think that the best way to deal with that is that we collectively need to be better about respecting multiple paths um to respect you know to like we, you know we tend to be a lot more adherent to um specific ideological approaches to that common goal um instead of supporting each other as necessary aspects of that like i'm never going to pick up a gun I'm never going to do it. Uh, the reason that I don't own guns is because I'm not willing to take a human life. So why the hell would I need a weapon designed to do so? Like that's, that's not for me. Um, I've never been in a situation where a gun was present where that gun made me feel safer. It's quite the opposite. You know, guns make me, they're just, you know, especially at this point, you know, particularly with the weaponry that Nelson has been describing, like those are not guns designed to go sit in a deer blind and kill your meal. Those are those have been developed and advanced to more efficiently take human life, and that's not something I want to be part of. But that being said, I think that you know I'm grateful that there are people who would be willing to take up arms to defend me. Um, you know, particularly after Charlottesville, uh, because you know after Charlottesville there was a huge emboldening um, across the country of white supremacists, you know, particularly in anti-Semitic rhetoric. And I was still living in Chicago at that point. And um, somebody spray painted neo-Nazi graffiti all over my neighborhood. And we don't know who did it. We don't know if it was somebody who lived in the neighborhood. We don't know if it was somebody who came in just trying to intimidate people. It's not a Jewish neighborhood. But because that happened, I had to sit down and have a conversation with my boyfriend and my roommate about making sure that somebody always left the house with me in the morning to walk to the train to make sure I made it onto the train to go to work in the morning and mm. to make sure that somebody was there to meet me at the train to walk back to our apartment, a whole three blocks, uh, that I never walked my dog by myself because we didn't know who did this. And it's ter and it, that's a terrifying way to live. And that was three years ago, <laughs> yeah. like right on the nose at three years ago. It was in August, right? Of 2017. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, like I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Like I'm not going to pick up guns, but like, you know, if the shit goes down at some point, it, I'm glad to know that there are people who would endanger themselves for my safety. Uh, like that's, that's a good thing. And so it's like, you know, like we have to, you know, do better about if some people are good at writing and rhetoric and developing that respect that that's the lane that they need to stay in. If some people have the physical ability to stay in the streets, that's where they should be. You know, if some people are just like good organizers of stuff they should be running supply drives but not everybody needs to be in the same spaces at all times and nobody's job is more important than anybody else's and i think that we lose sight of that really easily i think that for whatever reason on the right their sense of you know individual glory is more unified that they're they're happy to be a foot soldier and everybody on the left is like 
we all want credit more than we should a lot of the time. And that gets in our own ways because that we wind up undermining each other, um, trying to do the best job of being a leftist. I think it's encouraging to hear about those, those gun clubs, I think, because the way that I look at it is I see the guys that storm the state assembly with their rifles. And I just think, you know, if that's what the right are like, you guys need a left. <laughs> They showed well, up in a they showed up in a in a in a in a, ha- in a deuce and a half truck like armed to the teeth like a military that dude bought that truck at a military I know we bought it he's like he got it off a military surplus online it's just like they rolled in like a right wing death squad and it's just like that shit plays out in South America all the time mm-hmm. and you just saw it on your TV in the United States and the important takeaway there isn't isn't that they showed up with those with that degree of weaponry it's the reaction that they got. Because they showed, (laughs) exactly, they showed up with that degree of weaponry and police just stood there and let them scream unmasked in their faces. And, you know, all three of us have been out in actions in the street. All three of us have witnessed violence against our friends, against people that we know in peaceful protest over the course of the BLM, you know, uprisings. And... When the police and it, the issue isn't that the police are more willing to respond, you know, with violence to people that they don't perceive as threats. It's not that's not where that's coming from. It's whether or not they agree with what you're protesting. That's where that that's what the reaction is. And so, like, they have no problem with guns. They have no problem with violence. They have a problem with who they perceive as the threat, and they don't perceive riled up white boys that look just like them as a threat but little five foot two me is real scary because my ideology is a threat to them i think there was a there was a sort of semi comedic video going around where a black guy was in a wig acting like a white woman and he goes up to a security guard and says there's a shady looking white person and the look of disbelief on the security guard's face that there could be such thing as a shady looking white person kind of just summed up the whole issue in this really look at Nelson just look at him I don't know what Kate's talking about she's truly horrifying like, shit of me. <laughs> yeah I was gonna say too like a lot of these laws are meant to protect like you know radical white people like stand your ground is the most racist law uh, the law in itself isn't racist, but how it's used and how people use it is is extremely, extremely racist. Um, this law basically says you, if you feel threatened, you have the right to shoot somebody, basically. And that's how Trayvon Martin's killer got away with it. And, and that's how a lot of other people, even the uh, and, and a lot of southern states uh, have this law. And it's 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 horrifying. And it's terrifying that at any moment you can get shot. Uh, There's a guy at a gas station who, um, you know, he got in an argument with this guy and and, um, he just pulled out his gun and shot him. And and and, and for the longest time, they didn't arrest him because they, they stated, well, it's stand your ground. But, you know, there was so much uproar about it that he finally did get arraigned. I'm not sure what happened with that court case, but. But just things like that, it's these the, these laws are designed to protect these people and they do not have the other side in mind whatsoever. 
to piggyback yeah. exactly what Tommy said, there's a case where a black woman uh, fired a warning shot at her abusive husband who was had physically abused her and had said, I'm going to kill you. And she fired a warning shot and did not hit him. And she is in prison for 20 years for just arguing a firearm at somebody while George Zimmerman shot and killed Trayvon Martin. And he's let free. Brianna Taylor's boyfriend. Brianna yeah. Taylor's boyfriend fired back at the police because the police did not announce that they were police when they were executing a no-knock warrant in the wrong apartment while the person they were looking for, who was her ex-boyfriend, was already locked up. And he defended himself in his home under those laws, and he is currently in jail. And the police officers that he fired at that murdered his girlfriend in front of him are not. They pick and choose who these laws apply to. I mean, I'd intended this to just be a very much um, sort of talking about the perspective of Southerners, but it was inevitable where we went with this, I think. (laughs) (laughs) We we know who we are. (laughs) This is what we, this is fun for us. Oh yeah. 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 This is why I started, this is why we started the podcast. Like I talked to Tyler and Will one day, I talked to Will at work and I messaged Tyler and I was like, Y'all been listening to a lot of these podcasts and like they're none of them are in the South. And like, are you tired of like us being portrayed as like a bunch of dumb rednecks? And Will being Will just like goes off in this rant <laughs> and words I don't understand. Uh, um, and he basically says yes. And Tyler's like, roll tide. And then like, we brought on Tommy and we brought on Kate. And it's grown to be like something I couldn't even think of. Like this, like the whole reason. I had this idea and like came to the, my two friends and then brought on more friends is that like, we need to show everyone that we're not a bunch of white supremacist assholes. Like we are a diverse group of will like Tyler Tyler is like Tyler is, is the, is definitely the whitest of all of us. Like he's, <laughs> he's a former pig farmer. Like he is, but will is, will is a, a Muslim convert. Tommy yeah. black Kate's Jewish. I, look and like i'm a woman and a woman and i look like you're st- <laughs> <laughs> i look <laughs> I, I was like you know it's one of those things was like in my head i'm like kate's a woman but it just didn't come out <laughs> so obvious i got all, i got the most intersections of us all <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah i mean and i look like you'd stereotypical like bald white dude with a beard that's like you know roll tide but like i mean i really hope that we're changing some hearts and minds out there that I've had a lot of people message me um, on the social media pages that are like, Oh, thank God I found you. I'm from South Carolina and I moved to California and I hear all the time, like, Oh, do you know anyone in the clan? Like, do you, every time I'd go to New York, it'd be like, do you know, have you been to a clan meeting? Do, do you sleep with your cousin? Like, do you blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, okay, it's funny the first time, but like when you're looking at me and expecting me to answer seriously, I have to start thinking like, y'all, my, my family's from, my grandparents from Italy. Like I was born and raised Catholic. Like I'm like, I'm not your stereotypical Southerner. And then it's just, it's just mind blowing that I had to remember that like everything we just talked about, like the Southernification of America, like, and it's just, it's just wild. And trying to break down that myth that the South is a monolith, as Kate, as Kate said, like, like we have to break that. And I'm, I'm really hoping this podcast does this. And I'm really lucky to be surrounded by people that want to do that. 
Well, you, you've done it for one British person. I know that wasn't really your target audience, but <laughs> it's like it's like what did what did Saul so what did Saul tell God? He was like, "If there's just one good person in Sodom and Gomorrah, we've not destroyed the city." <laughs> Sherman, if there's one good person in Atlanta, we not burn it down. Sherman's like, "Nah, man, we're burning this shit down anyway." <laughs> yeah, Dan's now the only reason that we're not going to burn England to the ground. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not opposed if that's where you're going. <laughs> the, the Catholic part of me like, burn it to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got an Irish wife, so I'm hoping she'll take me in an island. You know, if, if it gets that bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess my next question really is, where the way that politics currently sits in the world in general, is there still a place for dialogue? Can we still change minds by talking? <laughs> Tommy, you want to do this? <laughs> I think Tommy probably has the best perspective of this, like because you know. I think I, the the thing is, is like you can't. The, Tommy, I, I mean, Tommy should yeah. just roll. Tommy should just roll because you can't hide being black. So the people that eat, like you can't, you can't. And so I think Tommy's gonna have I, the best take on this. I I've, I think I think we're done talking. Like there, there's been years of talk. How how long have we been talking? You know, um, how long has it been since Martin Luther King and what has really changed? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But even even beyond the the black white issue, the the right left issue, I mean, it's 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 now just a a willing ignorance. It's more of like try. It's very tribal. It's very like, um, you know, like you know Alabama versus Auburn. What's what, what are two soccer rivals? I don't know anything about soccer. I know. I, I get that reference. I'm a big college football fan, so you're good. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Man City versus Man United, I guess. Yeah, so. there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and that's all it is. It doesn't matter. It, like, facts don't matter. Like, reality doesn't matter. It's what is my side doing versus what's your side doing. And my side's always going to be on my side. And I can't dare switch teams or I'll have to admit that I'm wrong in some kind of way. And that's where we are now. Um, I actually kind of teared up uh, a little bit listening to that because it's exhausting. It's absolutely because on the left, we're also, we've internalized expecting more patience out of ourselves in rhetorical measures. Like we're supposed to be, it's, you know, a lot of it and it's okay. Hot take. When Michelle Obama said, when the la- they go low, we go high crap, which was absolute crap. Like, I was infuriated by that because turning the other cheek has gotten us nowhere. And we're so far past that point. And expressing that comes from, like, the, this, you know, well, we're going to talk about it. It comes from a place of just absolute privilege. Because people who believe that and people who function in that capacity are the same people who have the ability to check out of quote-unquote political conversations because they're not directly impacted uh, by those things. The, you know, like they, they ha- if, you, if you have the ability to not live a political life and to not be political, that is an exercise in extreme privilege. And it... I completely agree with everything that Tommy said. I think that, you know, it is an active choice to be willfully ignorant. I think at this point, you know, like the 24 hour news cycle is so complicit in that because we're not even operating on the same information. We're not getting our information from the same sources. You know, truth has become subjective. 
And you can't continue to argue with that. And I don't know what the solution is. I don't know what the best steps moving forward. I don't know if there's a possibility of unification. Um, I would hope that there is in some sense, because like, there has been like on social media, a lot of like vocalization from Southerners who are left of center in whatever capacity about like a reclamation of Southern identity um, about, you know, like there's really beautiful stuff that's been going around about, you know, like, again, you know, the Bourdain quote of the South is not a monolith um, about um, other states having a superiority complex over Southern states um, why that needs to be rejected, not only to celebrate and uplift the people in the South who who need it the most, about not turning your back on Black Southerners, on queer Southerners, on 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 leftist Southerners, on poor Southerners, on working class Southerners, uh, but also acknowledging the fact that you know, like, you ever been to Central Massachusetts? <laughs> like, you're just as bad as we are, uh, you know, like. Um, because you see, it's so acceptable to shit on us and that, you know, having this false ideal of who and where the problem lies makes it harder to combat the problem because, you know, like very early on in the COVID crisis, because Southern states have done the worst job of dealing with it. And it's because of our governments and it's because we have Republican governments who function out of a completely capitalistic standpoint where they are going to put profit before people. So they're forcing us back to work, not so that businesses can make money, but so they can force us all off of unemployment. So they don't have to pay us to stay home, uh, to stay safe. And, um, you know, you're in the UK, you know, like I'm sure a lot of your UK listeners have had a very different experience with what unemployment is like. My ex-boyfriend is in Glasgow. He was furloughed immediately and the government of the United Kingdom paid him 80% of his salary. Uh, that's, and, yeah, and that's it's going to run so, out soon. <laughs> yeah, but, but he got it. Yeah, he did. <laughs> but he got it, you know, and over here, you know, like, State by state, it's a different story on what your benefits are going to be depending on who your governor is. Um, so a friend of mine who's from Missouri but now lives in New York City had made a comment about, you know, like, Ugh, we should just let the South secede again so we don't have to deal with them. And that was hurtful. Mm. You know, it's not, it's like, it's, that's hurt. That's, thank you so much for abandoning me. Thank you so much for abandoning my friends. You know, thank you, you know, like, you've been to Memphis and you loved it, you know, like, don't forget, like, who is actually down here. Today, I was scrolling through Reddit on, like, Killing Time, and in a Letterkenny sub subreddit, you know, about a goofy Canadian sitcom that I love, somebody made a comment about, you know, there's a running joke about, you know, DGENs from upcountry, uh, like so basically you know rednecks from north ontario and they referred to they were talking about covid and they referred to the problem in america being degens from down south that's pain like it it hurts it's painful it's painful to be spoken about like that it's painful to you know be treated as you know just part and parcel with people that we disagree with that are holding us hostage you know that are for all kinds of ridiculous ideological reasons that make absolutely no sense. Yeah. So when do we get to have the conversation? Not us. This is like the wider world. 
when do we get to have the conversation that actually maybe it's money that's the problem and who has the money yesterday uh, yeah i was gonna it, it's so oh my god the the reason why the the sole reason why america is the worst is the worst in covid numbers right now is because of corporate greed like 100 man i i'm not gonna say exactly where i work but i sell phones and my store never closed at all Where's not at all because phones. we were deemed essential we were deemed and and that term is so loose and it applied to whoever did not want to close and and our and even alabama being shut down for a month what it was the city was still just as active as it was before mm-hmm. it ever closed like nothing changed it's more like in the south in these red states not necessarily just the south but in red state red states they played it more as oh you know you can shut down you can close you know it's really up to you you know if people want to come in i mean it's up to them we can't lose money i mean we can't we can't not make money it just seems that i mean like there are there are like obviously racism is a massive issue and there are some there are big problems on the right but it seems as though actually these people, you know, they're still like a lot of them are just poor working people, you know, and they're actually the anger is at the wrong. It's just divide and conquer, isn't it? It's just the more that, that these people are fighting our people. It just deflects from actually the cause of the, 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 the big cause of the problem, right? Do, no, do you you're spot on. I mean? you're, like not, you're absolutely spot I'm not on. not trying to so minimize anything else. <laughs> but like particularly in American capitalism and particularly in Southern capitalism, um, this all does still stem back from you know, from slavery. So it's you get into the Reconstruction era South immediately following the Civil War, and in order to maintain the economy as folks had known it, you know you immediately get into systems of sharecropping, which were just legalized slavery. Yeah. You immediately get into privatized prisons and you know gross criminalization of being black, you know to provide you know legal slavery. Um, capitalism and racism are you know they're blood brothers they're you know they they are in bed together constantly um they can't you know like capitalism benefits so greatly from racism and racism really has no purpose without capitalism um and that divide and conquer that you're talking about was absolutely a, a meticulous strategy to make poor white people in the south th- it's it think that Black people coming for their jobs were the enemy, not the people who were refusing to pay them. It's the same thing as, you know, immigration across the world. Yeah, you know, like dependent, you know, it's like we're we ch- we have, you know, a quote unquote immigration problem that is universal, but it's not that, you know, immigrants are not the problem. Immigrants aren't coming in and stealing anybody's jobs. It's that, you know, bosses don't want to pay people. And so if they can pay somebody less money, they're going to sit there and be like, see, if you would just work for less. And so now the person that they're exploiting is somehow your enemy because you demand, because you demand to be treated fairly and to be treated equitably. And, you know, so it's just, it's this absolutely meticulous thing that's done like that. It is a very much a divide and conquer strategy that is, you know, done very easily on race lines because there is such a discernible, visible marker yeah. to be able uh- to like know who the enemy is immediately. 
I just wanted to clarify. I don't know whether I explained myself very well that 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 comment was about the entire world as well. It wasn't like specifically aimed at you guys. Well, see the same no, thing over yeah. here. The people that it's, are w- waving Confederate flags are poor white people, mm-hmm. you know. And it's just like it's the same thing. Like it, it's what they're what they're saying is wrong, and those beliefs that they hold are wrong. But actually, there's a, why are you why are you all leaving the EU? Yeah, it's the same shit. It's the sa- it's the exact same shit. And why is why is a hedge fund manager making billions of pounds from betting on us leaving the EU? Why is that allowed to happen? Yeah, why does the United Kingdom continue to colonize Scotland and Northern Ireland? Money. Why? It's all about money. Every bit of it's about money. All of it is money. Everyone was saying why, and I just wanted to say why. <laughs> Tell me why. <laughs> I need another pet rock. Like the Weird Al version. <laughs> okay. I bought what? it on eBay. Oh, no one was in like Weird Al Yankovic back in the day. My, the, the, only, the only Weird Al song I know is from the Transformers uh, animated movie soundtrack. It's the Dare to be Stupid song is the only one I know. Um, I guess I just missed him, but... <laughs> oh, <it's okay>. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't blow up in the UK like he did here. <laughs> it's a white thing. We don't know about yeah, it. It is <laughs> <laughs> it is very white. So I guess I, I want to take it in a little less serious direction towards the end, but then give you a chance to sort of promote what you do in, in Fuller and point that people in the right direction. What are grits? Oh, grits. <laughs> Sup, you don't fucking what is, put what sugar is, in? What is a grit? Oh, my God. I have to so. sing of that scene from, <laughs> from my cousin Benny. What is a grit? Grit. No grit is like southern and uses instant grits. Put oatmeal in a blender and you have grits. That's what okay. No, that is no not, it's that is, corn. No, it's, it's, corn it's made meal. from corn. It's, you it's, put oatmeal in a blender. It's the same thing. You it's, Tommy. It's, no, it's polenta. White, it's that it's white polenta. people shit. Okay. No one eat. That's white, what, what are you? What are you? The best grits in the world are made by black people. Tommy, what are you talking about? What the white fuck people? are you talking about? Black don't people eat. don't eat fucking grits. <laughs> the dude at work who cooks the grits is black and he's amazing at it. I can't stand grits. They're fucking gross. Okay. Oh my god. All right, Tommy's been yeah, kicked no, off the podcast for recasting. <laughs> it's um, sorry, yeah, Tommy. Grits, grits are just it's like okay. the thing that they're most comparable to for people who aren't familiar with Southern cuisine would be polenta. It's okay. It's finely ground. It's porridge made from finely ground corn. And does that mean that you guys have found a way to make polenta taste nice then? Because salt, butter, okay. cheese, cheese. <laughs> mostly oh, salt, yeah. salt. Salt Some and butter. people put sugar in grits, and that's Shut and up, that's Tommy. wrong. But people, wrong. there are no. There's a debate about like you know. There's people who put like sugar or like jam or jelly in their that grits, and the people are wrong. People that's should, disgusting, yeah. and you shouldn't do it. And you should be shamed for it. You should. If Tyler were on Shame. here, he'd be like flipping tape. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So, what is the southern delicacy on food? Food is close to my heart as well. So I, I've got to talk about it. So what? What's the depends on where you are. I work. I work at a meeting three. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I work at a restaurant in the morning, so it's meeting three. So you got your meat, you got yep. your hamburger steak, okay, um, or you got meatloaf, fried chicken, <clears throat> fried catfish, right? And then for the sides, you got like butter beans, black-eyed peas, cornbread, mashed potatoes, mac and cheese, uh, slaw. Mac and cheese is a vegetable, and, by the way. It is collard greens, turnip <laughs> greens. The whatever cake, the the cobbler, it's also a vegetable. When people ask me like, what are the vegetables? I'm like literally listing 
everything including the cobbler listen <laughs> southern food take everything bad for you and then deep, deep fry. fry it okay that's nice that's, that's, so that's kind of like scottish food then yeah <laughs> i had a deep we don't order. take it as far as like wow. i'm sorry i've spent a lot of time in scotland Dude, and what are I those can't... sausage things that they 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 it's like you got sausage and like an egg and a scottish egg is a that scotch egg? Egg? That's, a, yeah. that's a hard-boiled egg oh my god yeah Dude, that's, that's delicious. my shit. Like, I but like, that. I can't do a deep fried Mars bar. That's just fucking disgusting. Yo, I had a deep fried Oreo at the fair and I literally felt my blood thickening. Dude, <sighs> I ate I, half of one and I died. I said, nope. <laughs> I was like, I started, I was like, I got the itis nope. and the sugar at the same time. <laughs> I will say that like being stumble drunk, like going home from pubs, like in the middle of the night in Glasgow and being able to just like wander into a chippy and get fried anything. Like, oh my God. So I've learned that one of the new things that they're doing in Scotland, it might not be new, but it's new to me, is that it's something called a pizza crunch where they deep fry a slice of margarita pizza, which apparently is phenomenal. But you can get like a whole like deep fried frozen pizza. That's That's a a fairly common, that's a fairly common thing in in a chippy. So it's like you can wander in, you can get fish and chips, you know, you can get like chips and brown sauce, chips and curry sauce. You can get like dude fucking haggis pakoras, (laughs) which sounds really foul. Oh, no, I can so imagine that being quite good. nice, actually. Oh my god, that's so good when you're shit made. So, did you just say you guys deep fry pizza as well? So it's not a Scottish thing. It's, it's no, no, I was saying that I mean, sounds like, like a very oh okay. I mean, they probably yeah, they deep, Scottish deep fry cuisine. Anything. Scottish <laughs> cuisine and Southern cuisine have a lot in common because it's like I basically taping shredded pork the cheapest and ingredients pork. and making them delicious. Chitlins it sounds good. What what was that last thing, Nelson? Chitlins or pig intestines. Oh, okay. It's try. It's basically try. Oh, oh my try. god! Right, they smell horrible. It's not good. Yeah. Let me tell you. I don't do Gizzards, chicken so liver. My mom. My mom at one point, one time, only one time in my entire life, <laughs> cooked, cooked chitlins, and I came home one day, and that the smell was so bad, I I I could not walk in. I had to go outside. It's <laughs> like vinegar and death. It, it is awful. It's horrible. Awful. It smells so bad, like death. It literally smells like death. Yeah, my parents I usually like slave food, but I can't deal with that. that was- <laughs> Tommy does like get on a good point. Like all the southern, like what we think of soul food, comes from like the scraps that they would give slaves to eat, yeah. and so like they just made the best of a bad situation that now has turned into southern cuisine. All the good stuff about the South comes from black people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. even the racism. That's true. That's true. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the good stuff. The good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> okay, guys, I'm conscious of the fact that we've been talking for a long time and I've thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it, but I would like to just give you a few minutes or however long it takes. If you want to talk about your podcast for an hour, go for it. Um, but just to plug some stuff and let us know where we can find you and what we should be doing and what we should be following. And I'm just talking for the sake of talking now. I'm definitely I just, editing I just, read the, I just read the intro. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh dixie and the proletariat uh is the name of the podcast on social media it's like facebook slash dixie pro uh twitter slash dixie pro instagram slash dixie pro like i said the podcast is dixie and the proletariat um we're on Son- soundcloud Libsyn, uh spotify uh every, like literally uh, apple like any place that you stream music um you can get it and Libsyn gives me the stuff like we have listeners in, on every continent. So it's, it's international. So basically uh, social media, uh, Dixie Pro or Dixie land of the proletariat, uh, anywhere where you stream your music, your podcast, anywhere. Um, 
basically you can listen to it. We have 20 episodes up. Uh, we have a Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com slash Dixie, Dixie Pro again. Um, we give our surplus Patreon money. Um, this came about because a podcast that I really liked completely imploded over money. And mm-hmm. I did not want that to happen. I think every, I speak for everyone when we're like, we did not want that to happen. And so I was also reading a bunch of stuff on social media at the time. Of like, what could podcasts do, especially that are, or white majority like do to help marginalized people. And it was like, you know, give us money. And so we donate um, the surplus from the Patreon to, to different groups that are run by our help marginalized folks directly. Um, I think right now we're at $300 we make a month off Patreon. And so uh, we take out what it costs to run everything. Yeah. And then we take that surplus and donate it to whatever group is run by or help marginalized people directly, whether it's a bail fund, uh, Black Lives Matter organization, um we uh we've donated to a harm reduction group before uh it's it's um a, a a maoist collective in st louis we donated money to so it's just any anything that is a radical organization that actually helps people so we're not going to donate to like the red cross or some other yeah. like organi- like sean penn and haiti building like one house when they get like a <laughs> billion dollars you know what i mean so yeah so that's basically that's the spiel of like where you can find this online that's one of the many things i like about your patreon as well is that i know that your money, the money's going somewhere where it's worthwhile so it helps you guys do what you do but it's also going elsewhere as well which i like because it just gives me the you know the satisfaction of knowing i'm supporting things that maybe i don't actually know a lot about but i trust you guys with my money so it's cool to like know that it's going to 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 the right places so that's cool anybody else want to add anything or are you good Romanian, if you're a listener from out of country in a place that has universal health care and all that southern cooking sounds really good to you I will marry you and I will make you delicious Southern cooking in exchange for citizenship somewhere with universal uh, healthcare right now. I'd be real into it. I'll do the 14 day quarantine. That's going to be demanded of Americans for the next eight years. (laughs) I I really like this deal. Y'all should definitely check out Kate's YouTube channel. Kate. Oh yeah. I have a YouTube channel. I was kind of setting you up for it, Kate, but you didn't. You didn't go. <laughs> well, I've been on hiatus. I've been on, I've been on hiatus, like an indefinite hiatus. So we'll just call what's up season one. Um, because, you know, just life is real weird right now and it's hard to keep on a schedule and stay focused. Uh, but yeah, I have a YouTube channel called Kate Can Do History. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram and watch that on IGTV as well at Kate Can Do History. Um, and it's leftist history lessons mostly um particularly on labor uh or talking about history of marginalized groups trying to focus on the things that you didn't actually learn in history history class and telling them from the correct and accurate perspective in 15 minutes or less so it's really really bingeable um so yeah check that out if you want to learn more and it's and it's not just american history or southern history it goes all over the world i've covered everything from the occupation of Alcatraz to Easter Rising, uh, and you know, before and since. So, excellent. And anything else? Last call. Tommy. Tommy uh, does. Uh, Tommy is a really, really good at video games, and you should definitely. Tommy, okay. give, so give everyone was, your gamer tag. I was actually. Tommy, I was actually. Tommy, Tommy, should Tommy, Twitch out. together. Tommy, so this is yes, <laughs> because Tommy's clan was um, number one in the world at Gears of War. And, Amazing. And Tommy was like number what five in the nation or in the world yeah. at Gears of War, right? 
So yeah. I was waiting until I'll... we finished recording, but I'm geeking out by his little backdrop with his persona oh, five yeah. over his shoulder and his little amiibos in the corner. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, no, I game. Um, if you do want to add me on Xbox or PlayStation, my gamer tag is Youth in Asia. Y zero U T H E N A S one A. There are spaces in between those on Xbox and underscores on PlayStation. Amazing. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Check all those things out. I will put them all in the link. I say I, it'll probably be Emma because um, she's nice like that. Um, but, but someone will put it on the link to this podcast and I will see you next week. Bye. A massive thank you to Kate, Nelson and Tommy for taking time to talk to me this episode. If anything we talked about piqued your interest, then make sure you check out their podcast, Dixie Pro, on all major podcast platforms. I'd also like to thank all of you for taking the time to listen to this, the first series of Let Me Introduce Myself. I appreciate every listen and every bit of feedback. I'd also like to thank Emma who has sat and edited each episode as well as given me the confidence to give this idea a go. I'll be back with series two in the new year, but in the meantime, stay in touch and stay safe. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.